0: Listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 164 of the Testudo Times Podcast. Uh, Beginning and ending, you'll get to hear about that in a little bit. First, Thomas, we have to talk about something that came out on Twitter today from the great Patrick Stevens, who you've seen around the Maryland press box. And I think a lot of you have read his stuff. He posted something from the 1949 Maryland football media guide and it's pretty normal, pretty normal. And then, Oh my God. Yeah,
1: that was uh, I actually kind of some sort of ADD thing. I didn't get to the end the first time and then someone quote tweeted it and then I saw it again. And uh, yeah,
0: I, I mean, talking about sandwiches with mustard, man, where's the sandwiches with ketchup?
1: Yeah, so, so, we'll, so we'll, we'll go off this. So the tweet, are, the tweet and then the sort of press release that's being referenced here, you know, just talks about press accommodation, sure, whatever. And then at the very end, in a graph that's in italics, when everything else is in just kind of regular stuff, it says typewriters, paper, pencils, coffee, sandwiches with mustard. And even such extracurricular activities as blondes, brunettes, redheads, and after-hour club cards might even be supplied for our prescribed duty is to entertain and assist our working visitors. So that kind of comes out of nowhere, and they don't explain it, and it's it's wild as hell. That's a hard right turn. Yeah, that's like a screeching halt, left turn, no signal. Just,
0: I don't know. have many questions, unfortunately we don't have time to answer those questions. The first of them is, like, where did they keep them? If they just, they have, like, a holding pen? of. I don't know. I mean, they didn't have the press box that that we know. No, because apparently they haven't changed the student accommodation for tickets since 1949. Exactly (laughs) the same number, which is hilarious if you think
1: about it. That is original takeaway number one
0: before I I got down to this. I mean, if not for, you know, the hard right turn at the end which, it's a hard right turn. That would have been the most hilarious thing about this, but no, it's Maryland Foote. The dysfunctional Viper Pit existed in 1949, but then it was just problematic. Yep. Oh, boy. So, we don't want to focus too long on this, but we have to because it's hilarious. And we do not want it to obfuscate for the fact that if you saw earlier in the month of August, Testudo Times is under new management, new students have come in, new students are running it, and... We'll talk more about what that means to the podcast later, but we want to introduce you to those because they have not been on the podcast yet. First, you've seen Lila Bromberg write many things and take pictures of many things and introduce yourself to the podcasting world.
2: Hey, guys. Um, Yeah, as he said, I'm going to be taking over as managing editor this year. Glad to join the podcast and be a bigger part of us in the future.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. And another person who will be joining us, another Matt, there's always, it's always Matt's on this show. As Alan Tuck will probably tell you, uh, Matt Levine is also here. Welcome to the show as well.
3: Thank you. I'm very excited to be taking over as the podcast host and editor this year. Did some writing last year and now hopefully doing a lot with this podcast and putting it into a good good spot this year.
0: Spoiler alert. If you didn't figure out what that meant, we'll talk more about that. Yeah, we're that. gone. Yeah. We're done. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. First thing I do want to mention, just some podcast housekeeping notes. Uh, sorry about the Apple Podcasts and other things. That was related to our move to Megaphone. Uh, we have that fixed, so hopefully it's on your RSS feeds, It's on iTunes. It's on your Apple Podcasts, It's on everywhere where hopefully you listen to this podcast if you don't listen to it in the posts or listen to it in your web browsers. I often do that because I'm old. But the other thing that I should mention with that is that you listen to it on the SoundCloud page for a long time because that's where we first posted the show. That's going to be soon commandeered by me because I have things that I'd like to do with it, and I've paid for it, so I would like to have it for myself. So if you've been listening to the show on the SoundCloud page, you've obviously noticed that we haven't uploaded there in a while, but all of that's going to be taken down pretty shortly, but all the archives are on Megaphone, all the archives are on the RSS feed, so you don't have to worry about that. That's podcasting and housekeeping for now. Firstly, before we get into the major football preview for 2019, this is the fifth one of these I've done. Thomas, let's quickly go over some housekeeping notes. Uh, first of all, Kasim Hill's transferring to Tennessee. This is uh, unfortunately not a chance for me to make a champions of life joke, even though I think we all have to. It's just weird that a Maryland quarterback is transferring to Tennessee. It's just normally would we'll work in reverse, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, normally you would expect kind of kind of the reverse. I don't know if we've had many Tennessee to Maryland transfers. I mean, but...
0: Maryland beat him in the Peach Bowl, but that was like sixteen years ago. Yeah, It was a while ago,
1: and and it's I think it's a decent enough landing spot for for Kasim Hill. Um, he was kind of left. I don't want to say left out to dry, but we did. We really had no idea where we would end up and to, I don't know how serious of a chance he will get at Tennessee when he's, when he's healthy probably next year, but you know, it's, it's, it's another power five school. It's, it's only so far. Um, Jeremy Pruitt seems to have gotten pretty good reviews in his first year as coach. And, you know, cause always seemed like a good kid who if he was healthy would have been able to do some stuff. So, you know, right. at this point, you can only just wish him the best.
2: I think that's a key versus health. I mean, it's one thing to have one ACL injury and then you, you know, two. So I think it's just going to be a matter of him staying healthy and what he does with this rehab. Um, I think with Maryland, it was just too many injuries. He had gone down and too much of a risk at that point.
0: Too many numbers. And he was the quarterback from an old coach whose name shall not be mentioned. A couple of other quick housekeeping notes as well, Thomas, before we get into the meat of this preview. Another ACL tear, of course, not a quarterback.
1: This one is uh, Darrell Chami, sort of outside linebacker, the Jack position. Um, he had p- kind of been bumped out of a s- potential starting role by just all the transfers. I think Shaq Smith was, was probably going to start at that spot, but uh, Chami really impressed as, as a freshman last year, um, you know, looked like he was in position to really take a step up and you know, if not as a starter, as a very often seen rotational player. And so so that's a big hit for, for Maryland's depth. Linebacker, for whatever reason, seems to be one of their deeper positions after being kind of a weakness in the past. Um, but but obviously, when you lose guys for the season at this stage, especially guys like that, it, it stinks.
0: Uh, well, Maryland, like tight ends, used to not really play with linebackers, and now they do. Yeah. And now they have,
1: I mean, they doubled the linebackers in one offseason, and they have, they have two coaches for, for the linebacker group.
0: Correct. Well, you need them in the Big Ten. Tackle the yeah, team. I mean, that, that's Speedy when they became or, a Big and Ten school. physical running backs. Uh, also, another Virginia Tech transfer. This is three of them in one offseason. Pretty impressive. <laughs> um, Soon they're going to have more Virginia Tech players than Virginia Tech does. We've got a,
1: a bit of a way to go uh, for that, but you really never know um yeah so six and one offs six total transfers three from the same place obviously josh jackson and sean savoy are gonna be eligible to play this year to ellis the quarterback turned wide receiver will not but we'll see him next year um you know he, he was always an interesting prospect he was kind of a, a guy that went both ways as as a quarterback and as a wide out he played wide out at tech and I imagine that's where I'll slide in as well, but, but Hey, you can never have too many emergency quarterbacks.
0: Well, in Maryland, you really truly can't ever have enough. Emergency you can You Matt, need
1: one through 15.
0: Yeah. Lila, and Matt, if you, you, you already know this, but that's one of our favorite running jokes on the show is the angry Maryland quarterback hating God. So please, <laughs> please keep that going into the future because it will never go away and it will spite you at some point. This has happened to how many times, Thomas? Has this happened on since we've been doing this show? At least five or six.
1: Since we've done it, it might have just been three, but it feels like so many more.
0: I don't even think that includes 2015. <laughs> no,
1: I mean I was, you know, I was fresh well, from our cover football here. I was here. Well, they didn't have injuries; they just all like Stop. suffered from the interceptions. It yeah. stunk is basically what you're
0: talking about. C.J. Brown, yep. by the way, new Maryland color analyst with Johnny Holiday. Is that not hilarious or what? That made me laugh when I heard it, I have to admit. Fantastic. I love it. That means – I mean, you always listen to those games anyway because Johnny's amazing. But now you're going to listen to even more because C.J. Brown. Maybe this will get him more appreciated by Maryland fans, who I never thought gave him a fair shake. But that's another topic for another day. So oh. now let's get into 2019, and I'll start, Thomas, with just in general – the program is a dysfunctional Viper Pit. I think we all know that. Uh, it's still kind of a dysfunctional Viper Pit, but less so. And they're in the hardest division in the sport. Mike Loxley's doing his best to put a good sheen on it. It seems like there might be maybe a little disconnect by what might actually happen, what might people think might happen.
2: I mean, I wouldn't I think- go as far as say... It's, you know, a toxic waste dump. And to the players, there does seem to be a significant change in the program and the culture. Almost every player I've talked to. You can just tell when they're practicing, the way they carry themselves, there's clearly been a shift. Anthony McFarland was telling me just walking around Gossett Team House, like, it just feels different. And I think Loxley has really made a huge effort to change the culture. And And I really think it does seem like a different program than it has in recent years.
0: Because it's Loxley, and because of the things that he's been saying, maybe fans are a little bit more optimistic than they've been. And if you're somebody who's been burnt out by you know false Dawns in the past, as all of us I think have, maybe you're not as willing to give this a benefit of the doubt. Because it's Maryland football, and they are in the Big Ten East. But it it seems like something's changing. But the change might still take a while to get through. And this could be a this still could be a pretty tough year.
1: Yeah, I mean, just. Just a real quick, the way that I would put it is that it seems a lot like a regular sort of new coach optimism, you know, and and Loxley in particular has come into kind of a unique situation. He said all the right things about it. I think he's he's done a lot of the right things. The way that he's sort of transformed the roster, brought in impact, immediate impact transfers, um, you know, maybe four are going to start out of five transfers. So, you know, with all that, the way he put together a recruiting class late, there's he's done a lot to get people sort of optimistic. What I don't know is if the benefits can come in the short term because we'll talk about the schedule later. It's it's not easy, and it's really never going to be easy at Maryland with that kind of schedule. And so, you know, you you can get Maryland to a better place, you know, roster-wise, but it's still about going out and winning a lot of tough games.
0: Until the Big Ten blows up the schedule, which, you know, they're never actually going to do maybe the new commissioner will do it i have no idea uh matt i also want to get your opinions on this because after covering this program for a while there's been false dawns and then there's been really really terrible the optimism is always great and always the optimism heading into a new season is a lot of fun but it, it kind of feels like though there's optimism here i think everyone kind of understands the the scope of the challenge that exists even more so than usual of just you're a not Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State in the Big Ten East. You're a team that's coming from basically absolute zero to try to win in the Big Ten East.
3: Well, as you said, it it is hard to, to be those teams, the Michigan, the Ohio States, the Penn State of football in the Big Ten. And and I think based on a student's standpoint, talking to other students at Maryland, everyone seems to have much more optimism this year than they did last year because of all the turmoil with the previous incident last season. And coming into this year, it seems like everyone's more optimistic obviously with the new culture and the new coach. And it's kind of last year, some students didn't come to the football games because of the whole incident that happened. And now this year, it seems like everyone's more motivated to come and root for this team. And I think that can definitely help if the student body is behind this team, they can compete with the better teams in the big 10.
0: It's going to be real difficult. And we'll get to some of the reasons why in just a second. Love them, obviously, to compete with bigger teams in the Big Ten rather than playing road games at home, which you have seen some Maryland home games be road games at home in recent years. Uh, Let's start with quarterback Lila. I'll give you the cherished word on this. It is Josh Jackson. I think in the end we all expected it to be Josh Jackson, but it took a while longer for Maryland to announce it. They have depth at the position, which is rare at Maryland. They have good depth at the position, which is really rare, and they will need it because aforementioned angry Maryland quarterback hating God. But when Josh Jackson came in, we kind of assumed he was the starter, and most people thought, you know, they're going to name it pretty early in camp, and it went on for a while. So this was a close battle, but Jackson wins out in the end. It's experience with him, and he's a different kind of quarterback to, to Tyrell Pigram, and it's a kind of quarterback Maryland hasn't had. I think, as Patrick Stevens mentioned, he's the first immediate transfer to start at Maryland since two thousand. So this is a rarity, but it's kind of one of the best quarterbacks that Maryland could have had considering the situation they're in.
2: Yeah, I think he's definitely, you know, a great get while he is coming off the injury, like there you just can't deny how well, you know, he did at Virginia Tech, you know, leading all power five freshmen in yards and completions and ranking second in touchdowns. You know, he really showed his ability there. Uh, you know led Virginia Tech to a great season um, and I, like you said I think everyone kind of you know thought that he would get the starter I mean especially going out and getting a transfer like that and it seemed like Loxley really wanted to just create more competition within that room um, and so I think it was done very purposely um, but I'm happy to see what Jackson will be starting he certainly is you know the best and most promising quarterback that we've seen of his position in a long time and I think he'll
0: do good things. I think, Thomas, even though he's starting against Howard, we talked about this before, you have the idea that he might not play the whole game, he might not need to, it's Howard. They have depth behind him. Pigram is obviously respectable. He nearly beat Ohio State last year, which is, again, nothing any Maryland quarterback can say. Even Lance Lejeune, who is a freshman, obviously the coaching staff's really high on him. So there is depth at the position. But for Jackson... Again, you get a quarterback like that from another Power 5 school that's arguably at a higher level than Maryland is, you kind of think they're going to come in and win the job, and he had to actually go out and earn it. It wasn't a fait accompli. And maybe that's a better sign than I think a lot of us are making it out to be.
1: You know, it's been it's been kind of interesting. You know, I covered team for three seasons. This is, you know, kind of a pseudo-fourth. I'm not on the beat this year. But the each of these years, there has been some sort of a quarterback competition, and they've announced either – by just trotting someone out on the first series or like you know around this time it's it's been really fascinating but each of those times it's always been the guy you figured would get it like in march so it it has been an interesting dynamic i think jackson is probably the highest ceiling for sure i don't know if he's the lowest floor i i think his floor you know assuming he's healthy is still higher than most Considering um, you know he, he has the
0: considering the quarterbacks i've seen play for maryland the floor would have to be really really low for it to be a shock just saying yeah and and
1: you know last year he had you know he started pretty strong like he he was on pace to maybe not meet his 2017 numbers but he you know he was pretty similar in terms of completion percentage and yards per game and all that uh and then he broke his leg and obviously wasn't Able to return all of that year, graduated and decided to to move elsewhere. And so, assuming that there are no lingering effects, and I mean, we saw last year like injuries can very much mess with a quarterback's confidence and affect his play. We've at Maryland, we've seen a lot of that. And you know, I don't I don't know entirely what we're going to get out of Jackson, but the there's a lot to like. And right now that's, that's really all you can ask for.
0: I should mention angry Maryland quarterback hating God, Max Bortenslager, I believe it's stress fracture in his foot. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe. Well, it's not a torn ACL. So no, I mean, we are, uh, you
1: know, embracing diversity in our Maryland quarterback injuries. Uh, first it was the Caleb Henderson, um, similar stretch, stress fracture, broken foot kind of a deal. Um, then, it was, then it's this. Born Schlager had an injury last year, too. So, diversity.
0: Oh, I forgot about Caleb Henderson. Those were the days.
1: It's too soon. It's
0: not, for you, it's too soon. For me, it'll never be too soon. I have to make jokes about you got to make jokes when you deal with what we deal with. Uh, Lyle, let's get to some offensive skill players, because there's a lot to talk about here. Obviously, we, we mentioned on an earlier podcast about Jason Jones' injury, but I wasn't as worried about it. Even though Jones probably figured to be the number one, there's so many guys at the skill positions, including tight ends, another running joke from this podcast uh, that will continue hopefully into the future. They have so many people at the skill positions who can create an impact. And in Mike Loxley's offense, the more you have the better. And even though they've lost Jones, there's so many other guys that can kind of replicate the numbers. And even Jones could still have ended up being the fourth most targeted receiver. And you wouldn't have been surprised because it still feels so wide open. So what were you thinking about the skill positions? If you asked, any random Maryland fan, they'd probably say, you know what, they're most confident in those players.
2: Yeah, I think with wide receivers, there are um, a lot of other options besides Jones. And Loxley has kind of said throughout um, the past couple weeks that, you know, there hasn't really been one guy to kind of step up as an alpha and that they're going to just be seeing a lot of guys rotating in and out of that role. Um, He's mentioned uh, Carlos Carrier a lot, which is kind of a guy that, None of us really expected to have a big role, but it now seems like he's to be in the rotation. But I, I think, you know, there are a couple of guys that really expect to have a big um, impact. And I think DJ Turner is one of those guys. Um, I also think that Sean Savoy, they're planning on playing him in the slot, but, you know, he also comes from Virginia Tech. And I think, you know, it'll be great to have that established connection between him and Josh Jackson. I think. You know, you could have Daryl Jones, Dante Demis Brian Cobbs in there. So there's, you know, a lot of guys, and I, I don't think they're going to end up just having one guy be the guy from what Loxley's been, you know, saying. And like you said, the tight ends, I think is going to be a huge part of the offense this year. Um, and Tyler Mabry is a guy to really be excited about. And um, Chigo Zima Conkway showed a lot of improvement and just really dominated in the spring game. And I think it. It's going to be interesting, kind of that balance between tight ends and wide receivers this year.
0: And Matt, I think if you asked any Maryland fan or just any random person on campus, what's the first Maryland player you could think of? They'd probably think Anthony McFarlane. That's fair. And the running backs have been the deepest position for Maryland in recent years, and McFarland didn't even play all that much to start the year, and then by the end of the year took off. And the Ohio State game is the one that everybody will remember, obviously. And that, too, puts less pressure on the quarterbacks. And even though Maryland for too long has been feasted famine – Either they break off 60-yard runs or lose three yards. There was no middle ground. There's a lot of guys. That running back room was really damaged in terms of injuries last year and the last couple of years, and now that they seem to be fully healthy, that's another huge part of the equation. And this star is in that backfield. And I think the wider world of college football doesn't really know how much depth there is there.
3: Yeah, I mean, as you said, any student here can name Anthony McFarlane Jr., but it goes much further than that. They have Javon Leake who is probably going to take off as well. He's a junior this year. Tyon Fleet Davis as well, junior and Jake Funk who got hurt last year and redshirted is coming back now and he'll probably get a lot of third down repetitions there. I mean, Anthony McFarlane, you'd have to expect him to get a lot of the load, but he's not producing as well. They have Tyon Fleet Davis, Jayvon Leak to go to right there. And that takes a lot of pressure off the quarterbacks, as you said. And, even the wide receivers, obviously missing Jay Sean Jones, the pa- we don't know how, how heavy the pass offense will be. So they they have a lot of assets to run the football with. Well, and what, oh, go on. What
2: will be interesting also with the running backs that both Loxley uh, and Scotty Montgomery have mentioned is using them more out of the backfield. You're going to be seeing Maryland running backs have a much bigger role in the passing game than they have in previous seasons, which I think will be really interesting as well. Um, you know, Scotty Montgomery has raved about how well McFarland can catch the ball and all the different things he can do. So I think you're going to see a lot more versatility uh, from that room this year as well.
0: We kept expecting to when see- McFarland committed. Yes, go on.
1: When McFarland committed, that was one of the biggest, you know, selling points on him was that he was kind of an elite pass catcher as a running back, which not every high school kid is, and. You know, that was something they, they actually used pretty early last year. I think there was a game where he was Maryland's leading receiver and rusher, um, and they didn't really throw to anybody for most of the year after that. But, oh, you yeah, know, that that so skill is really there. They throw the ball to anybody last year. That, that skill is there, and in, in the right offense, if used properly, it's, it's dangerous.
0: I mean, we saw it with Alabama. Like, they did throw to running backs, even though it's not the highest success rate of play. But if you would have just get the ball to your playmakers, somebody's throwing the ball might end up helping – in that way, Thomas, it's Big Ten offensive line. It's actually been a position of relative strength for Maryland in recent years, as we joked. Another joke on the podcast is the only place that Randy Edsel knew how to recruit. It seemed to be a place that even DJ Durkin knew how to recruit for all of his other major ills. Uh, they have to be good because when you go up against the Big Ten, you need a good offensive line. And there's change at that position this year. But it seems like the position group still overall is pretty strong. So I think,
1: you know, it's kind of a, a double edged sort of bit with the offensive line. The starters, not a lot of people are worried about them. It's it's kind of an issue of depth at that point. So, you know, they they graduated, you know, three of the of the five sort of primary starters last year, um, but they returned Terrence Davis. They returned Sean Christie for like his twenty fifth season and Johnny Jordan, who started six games at center last year. And on top of that is Jalen Duncan and Marcus Minor. Um Minor has starting experience. Duncan, um, you know, kind of when he signed, looked like Maryland's left tackle of the future. And here he is a redshirt freshman looking like, you know, it's, it's already his time. Uh, but past that and past those guys and Ellis McCanny, the senior who's who can play really all five positions, they're just kind of struggling to find other guys they trust. They've moved two different guys from defensive line to offensive line to just try and build this depth um austin fontaine in the spring breon gaddy in the fall just trying to find some sort of some sort of depth to get you know a 10 guys that they really trust and you know right now they probably have six or seven so it'll be interesting to see if though you know if they can find some of those extra guys as the season goes on and to what extent they need to
0: well because maryland quarterbacks what's the other thing thomas that they have been doing a lot of in recent years other than getting injured and not throwing passes
1: that would be getting sacked for 400.
0: Yep. That's
1: Which, a, which is the weird thing because, you know, as, as well as they've recruited and they've been very good at run blocking and very poor at pass blocking for a few years.
0: Well, even so then, there, we'll, there we'll see if that changes. There were years Maryland with run blocking where they'd give up, like, three-yard losses on every other play, but then on one they'd pop a 60-yard run. You know, that was the Ty Johnson thing. He'd lose three yards, get one, and then he'd break off a 60-yarder. There was never, like, consistent 10-yard gains and i wonder how that works with the new blocking scheme new offensive coordinator for a lot of these guys i mean think about how many offenses they've played for just in the last three years you go walt bell you go to uh, matt cannon and now this that's a lot of offenses to learn it's a lot of blocking schemes to learn and as you say good stuff up top the depth is kind of gone i think that's an area that mike loxley is trying to recruit pretty well it's a lot of potential in the area as we've seen in recent times so the offense I just an overall position summary thomas what are we thinking about the offense this this year they've got playmakers they've got skill but there's some questions offensive line you know the you know there's going to be questions of quarterback because one of them is going to get hurt it's inevitable so like how what, what's the ceiling for this offense this year the ceiling is pretty high still you know
1: jackson has this track record and when he was healthy at virginia tech i mean they were very very good and mcfarland if he, you know, might not be talked about now as one of the best running backs in the Big Ten, but he will be. He's he's that kind of player, and
0: he could take over for Rondale. A ton Moore. of
1: depth at that position as well. Yeah, I mean, well, well, Rondale Moore is kind of he's hanging around, but um, McFarland's going to be, I think, in that sort of conversation too, if he gets anywhere near the touches. Which Rondale Moore gets so many touches, but that's a whole other. Well,
0: he's produced entire <laughs> offense basically. Yes, let's, let's be fair. And their special teams. I mean, um, he is but, a giant but, man who runs through people. But your team, if they have only one player on offense that can do something, is a bit of a problem. We'll get to that in a little bit because Maryland does play Purdue this year. Lila, what's the ceiling for the offense this year?
2: I mean, like Thomas said, I think it's you know pretty high. We've got a more talented quarterback that we've seen in years that really can throw a bit better under pressure. I also think that the tight ends are kind of going to be an offensive weapon in secret. You know, the opponents we're facing, especially like, you know, players in the big 10 that we faced, you know, for years now, they're not used to seeing Maryland utilize the tight end position. I think that's going to surprise a lot of offenses. Mike Loxley was really able to uh, use that, you know, group of guys well at Alabama. And I think that, you know, that's really going to surprise some people. And, you know, when you're having trouble with wide receivers, I think they're really going to lean more on the tight ends than they have. And I think that's going to really throw, you know, some defenses off.
0: For the first time since 2007, Maryland will use tight ends in their offense. That's rough <laughs> estimation. I've been following Maryland football. This is what, eighth, ninth season, and they've never used a tight end once. We thought they were going to use tight ends, and they, they never did. It was an amazing thing that happened. I can't remember the name of uh, Thomas. You remember the name of the tight end? I think he was White who we all thought was going to be great and then just disappeared and never caught a ball. What was his name? Was Avery a couple Edwards. years ago. You might remember, I think. Was it Avery Edwards? Yes. Thank you. He cut, he caught some balls. Yeah, but not like what we expect this year.
1: No, I mean he wasn't he wasn't what some of these guys are. This is um, also very
0: true. That that's basically how bad it's been for Maryland tight ends. I forget the names of the people we once hyped up, but now can't because they didn't do very well. Uh, Matt, what do you think about the offense this year?
3: Well, I think what Thomas said first, obviously, was that Josh Jackson has this track record. He was extremely successful when he was, when he was healthy at Virginia Tech. And obviously, Anthony McFarlane, he's been named to three preseason watch lists already and the 2019 Maxwell Award watch list, which is huge for him and I think Lila said it that or Thomas said it that he will be talked among the best running backs in the Big Ten towards the middle or end of the season. I think that's very true. And with Jay Sean Jones going down, no one's really stepped up as that main wide receiver. And I think that might be a good thing because Josh Jackson or Pigram, whoever's the quarterback, can spread the ball because all these guys they're all trying to step up. There hasn't been one guy that's cleared the pack yet, and that can really they can spread the ball around. The defenses won't really be, be able to know who Josh Jackson's throwing the ball to on the outside. So I think that'll be that'll help them a lot.
0: And now to the defense, which is always interesting, Thomas, because there's been so much change in the defensive side for Maryland. It's another new defensive scheme. That's changed like seventy years. Every single year, there's been a different defensive scheme. Maryland's former defensive coordinator is now at uh, – where is he at, Thomas? He, he's at Rutgers. Dun, da, da, da. Old jokes die hard. <laughs> Sorry, friends. That's that's just a part of the show here. Yeah.
1: Uh, and yeah, I kind of forgot about that. Oh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm
0: sure you would never forget about it. But No, no, never, never a bad chance to make fun of Rutgers, especially when you're not going to the Maryland-Rutgers football game this year. Again, we'll get to that more in a second. Defense is so interesting for Maryland because for years – They struggled with a lot of places, but they could rush the passer. Last couple of years, struggled to rush the passer. A little bit better last year than they had been in recent times. But it's an interesting front seven. Of course, we talk about the transfers. Shaq Smith and Keandre Jones were both eligible, which is huge. You lose Darrell and Chami, that's a big deal. But there seems to be more depth at the linebacker position. Because remember, Maryland under DJ Durkin played nickel defense, base set. So they only had two linebackers. And they've had really good linebackers in recent years, including last year. They've had tackling machines and now they have to replace them. So, what about this front seven? Because Maryland would do okay defensively and then get run over at the end because you can't have your defense on the field the entire game. What about this group? Are they going to be able to rush the passer in a way that we remember from Maryland teams in the past? And do, do they have enough talent to stick with good offenses that they're going to face? And they're going to face a lot of them.
1: I think front seven wise, I mean, the, the, the line is kind of the big question mark here. Um, you know, they lost most of, of the core from last year and, you know, kind of adjusting to a new scheme. There's, you know, it's, it's a three-fourths. There's not as many spots, but there's not, a, there's still not a lot of proven names. Um, you know, Lottes, Rogers, at, at one of the defensive end spots, you know, maybe some other combination of guys at the other spot. Uh, there's Kieran Howard, um, Oluwashun, Oluwatimi is probably like the only, for sure starter and you know there's a few other guys who just haven't really established themselves and so up front you know it's it's not hopeless but it's it's a big question mark Um,
0: again because we remember for years maryland could do nothing except they'd actually get sacks and that's not the case anymore
1: i think a lot of that will depend on on the outside linebacker you know it looks like that'll be keandre jones and sacks matt um, especially Smith, if he can be a pass rusher, then that changes really everything. And we're not sure.
0: That's a, that's the big question, I, I think, Lila, It's just when you go to another defensive scheme, because when you go to basically what was a base nickel defense that they played under uh, DJ Durkin and Annie Boo to now go into a 3-4, they're as different as you can possibly be because you go from two linebackers to four, and the scheme is very different. They ask you to do different things. Your pass rushers don't have their hand in the dirt anymore. It's so interesting to see the group that is there is not particularly deep, but then you have these ace transfers basically who now have a chance to be stars when they couldn't have been stars. And in the case of Keandre Jones, he's going to play against his former team this year. So Mm -hmm. so what do we think about this front seven? Because when Maryland has been bad on defense in the past, they've usually been able to rush the passer, as we said, and now they – the defense is tilted from the strength being at the front to the strength being at the back.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, Shaq Smith is actually a guy that was poised to start at Clemson. He started in the spring game. The coaching staff was hinting that he was going to start. That's kind of a guy that I'm still, you know, he had his reasons for coming back, wanting to be back home. But in my mind, I'm still kind of shaking my head as to why you would leave a national championship contender. But he is a huge get, you know, coming off of the bench last year for Clemson. He had 16 tackles, 2.5 tackles for loss, and a sack. And I really think that this is the year where he's going to break out. He comes from, you know, both those guys, Shaq Smith and Keandre Jones, come from program winning programs with a winning mentality. And I think that they're really going to take it on themselves to, like, prove that, you know, they can compete and that they're kind of overlooked at those schools. I think they have a lot to prove. And I, I think they're really going to be just a dual asset to Maryland and, and they're gonna be dangerous.
0: What about the rest of the defense though up front? Because as we don't have the depth turt and the two deep at the moment, but if fans looked at it, a lot of the names that they knew, a lot of the names that would be instantly recognizable are gone. So you're asking a lot of not quite unknown quantities, but a lot of lesser known quantities to be the stars up front. And that's not something you've seen at Maryland front fours, front sevens in recent years.
2: Yeah, the defensive line is definitely um, a question mark. I think there's going to be a lot of reliance on, uh, you know, the linebackers. Um, and in practice, Loxley has kind of sounded like he's wanted to see a bit more aggression from a defensive line, that there's a little bit of hesitation. So I think that's definitely across the entire roster, you know, the biggest question mark. And, you um, I think that a lot of the weight is going to have to fall on the linebackers, but hopefully those guys on the defensive line can step up. A lot of it is just we haven't, you know, seen a ton from them. I think that um, Kieran Howard, Ola Watimi, like they're probably going to be the two leaders of that defensive line, but but besides them, there's a lot of questions.
0: Is it, Thomas, is this the most questions we've seen in a Maryland position in a while? Because I can't think of – I mean, other than quarterback, which is in of itself something different, but I, I can't remember a position group where you go like, wow, that's fair in recent years. There's always been one or two guys. I mean, linebacker for Maryland used to be, I mean, somebody had to play there, but they often get a hundred tackles. You know, Maryland had that for the last couple of years, but now you've got a group where you're just like, that's a lot of unknown quantities. And in the big 10, if you can't rush the passer against Justin Fields and Shea Patterson and I, I guess Adrian Martinez I would include in it. I don't even know who's starting for Penn State, but I'm not going to include them based on principle. Good luck with that.
1: I think the – to answer your first question, I think the group that I most remember having, like, really nothing was actually the, the secondary, kind of when Durkin came in.
0: Well, they brought know um, in transfers, after, though, and they turned out to be pretty decent. Like, Yeah,
1: this so, was, so this was pre-JC Jackson. This was pre-Tino Ellis. Um, yeah, like they, it they was, it was will likely, fine. it was will likely Alvin Hill. They moved, uh, Darnell Savage from the corner to safety. It, it just, there wasn't much in there. I think Ravon Davis came in that off season as well. And so they kind of restocked it quick and, um, uh, it turned out to be a pretty good unit for them, but like that, that first spring. Um, and this is why Tino Ellis plays defense. Um, just cause that, that position was, was that bare at that time. And, you know it's it's hesitant to call it bare because they've moved two pretty highly regarded like two former four-star recruits on the defensive side to offensive like interior line so maybe it's not as bare I think the, the staff seems to be higher on it than maybe we are it's just that there's very little returning production and a lot of just unknown quantities
0: Well, I think, as you said about that that secondary group, it turned out to be pretty dang good because, I mean, everyone knew Will Likely, but that was because he returned kicks. And then it turned out that J.C. Jackson became an NFL player, and Darnell Savage ended up becoming a first-round pick. So it turned out that it wasn't as bare as we thought. Maybe that happens with the defensive line. I don't know. And this neatly ties in, uh, Lila, to the secondary, which, again, for years is a weak point for this Maryland defense. And now it's a strong point, even though they lost, uh, Darnell Savage was a first-round safety, which is amazing when you think about it. Now this group is is even though they've lost a couple of really good players to the NFL, they're starting to churn a lot of good ones. It went from Sean Davis to to Darnell Savage; they didn't miss a beat. And now this group again seems to be pretty deep.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that you know Antoine Brooks is uh, eager and ready to take over that spot. For you know Darnell Savage, and it'll be interesting to see how he plays in that position. I think that you know Chino Ellis um, is also really going to be a stabilizer uh, for the defensive back group. You know, I think he brings a lot of experience. So I think those are going to be the two guys you see there. I'm very interested to see what kind of role Nick Cross is going to play because um, I think he could see some minutes and eventually, you know, possibly get into more of a rotational role. Um, but, yeah, I think that, you know, Antoine Brooks, he had a great season last year, and I think he's really eager and ready to be a leader for the defense.
0: And, Thomas, as we said, it, it's, it it's went from a black hole to, wow, they just turn out players constantly, and they're all turning out to be pretty good. And Tino Ellis went from a pretty highly rated wide receiver prospect to, wow, he's actually a really good corner. I mean, so I think there, there's confidence in that. If there was anywhere that DJ, that DJ Durkin – was able to get right it was the secondary that place was in trouble and then it was fixed and it still seems like that's going to be probably again the strength of the defense
1: yeah the you know depth is kind of interesting at at some of the spots because um, they've moved a couple guys who I thought were going to be kind of nickel corners to slot wide receiver um Sean Savoy kind of came in as a corner and they moved him over Rashad Lewis has been practicing with receivers and I don't think they've changed his number so it's like it's not official official but I think that's happening too. Um and Ken Montgomery transferred out. So so there's a little bit of a lack of depth but having three returning starters and it would have been four had Antoine Richardson not torn his ACL in the spring. Um you know that's that's really as much as you can ask for in a secondary and um even with Richardson going down jordan mosley deon jones and maybe even nick cross Fofi Bazzi are all guys who could really step in
0: well, these are all names that i remember hearing once and we talked about recruiting and they just left my brain that's that's maryland for you uh, i'll get mad in on this because sometimes it's hard to know the particulars of the defense especially they train they change all the time so overall the defense i don't think we're as assured about it as the offenses and especially in the big 10 i mean even if you have a good defense you're in trouble because i mentioned three of the quarterbacks that maryland's going to play this year and then that also doesn't even include Syracuse, which has a very good offense. We'll get to that in a second. The confidence of the defense, I assume, just overall is just less because there's just less names you know, and there hasn't been a track record of success like there once was. But there's still potential, but I think the ceiling's lower than the offense's is.
3: Yeah, I think, yeah, there's, there's less names than, than people know, and that could be a bad thing. That could be a good thing. And if other teams don't know them, Hey, that could be a good thing. They don't know how the tactics of the players and, and whatnot. So, I mean, a lot of these guys are young. The, a lot of the secondary, other than Antoine Brooks and Tino Ellis, most of them are, are uh, freshmen. So if some of them get playing time, you can see a lot of those guys stepping up. And, and we said the defensive line is a question mark. So definitely, I think the ceiling has gone down a little bit. And obviously Darnell Savage is gone. So I think the secondary, obviously, is their best part of their defense.
0: Lila, about the defense? I mean, you you play in the Big Ten East, so the chances are you're going to give up 40 at some point, uh, and they play some really good teams on offense. There's four or five where you could go, wow, I'm worried about Maryland today. If you're, if you're betting, take the over. Uh, but overall with the defense, there's an interesting group here. There's potential. It doesn't seem like, as we said, the ceiling is as high as the offenses is, but there's something to work with here, and as I said, if they give the offense a chance, I think that's probably what the defensive story is going to be for most of the year is if, can you give the offense a chance?
2: Yeah, I think while there are a lot of questions, there is, you know, stuff to be excited about as well. Like I personally am excited to see what Shaq Smith can do, Keandre Jones. And I I think that, you know, while there, there definitely are questions and it's definitely not, you know, maybe as strong as we would like. I think that, the two of those guys, Antoine Brooks and Tino Ellis, you know, could really shape this defense and be leaders for it. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But I think the linebackers are going to play a huge role this year and really anchor the defense.
0: Thomas, before we get to our favorite portion of the program, which is talking about punting uh, defense, what what are we thinking? Yeah, I mean
1: it's it's kind of hit or miss. the The line is is still a question mark, and I I don't know how good we can reasonably be expected to be but i like the secondary I, I really like the linebacker group and so you know that's 2 out of 3 um you know the ceiling is is still lower the floor is lower um but they they still have a chance to do to do some really good stuff especially if they can you know force turnovers and maybe get a little bit more of a pass rush than they've had you know that's really what was sort of the signature of this defense last year i think they led the conference and were one of the top teams in the country in interceptions, and a lot of those guys are back.
0: Yeah, the intercept again, it used to be they could do nothing except get sacks. Now they can't get sacks, but they could do other things. And by the way, there was a song once called Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. It's a bad song, so don't listen to it, but now you know that. Uh, Thomas, we need to talk about punting. Let's do it. This, is, this, this might be my last show on this podcast, perhaps for a while, perhaps ever, and I'm going out on top. We're talking about punting, and we might talk about punting for 10 minutes. Actually, no, we won't, but we have to talk about it because it's so important in the Big Ten. You don't go to Iowa City, Iowa, and not learn about how important punting is. So uh, uh, what about the punting? Well,
1: <laughs> Maryland has, like, no punters who have punted in a college football game, so that's, that's uh, really
0: exciting. As, um, long, as long as they don't go back to hit a punt and miss it. So,
1: so I had kind of
0: that was a Wyoming punter against Iowa.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not where you can do that, but
0: you can't do that at Kinnick stadium. I mean, it's just, it's just tragic.
1: So I, when I was watching the Miami Florida game, you know, Miami's new punter is one of those to
0: that. We're never getting close to that.
1: No, but, but it may be Miss Wade Lee's Miami's punter is this 26 year old, like buff tattooed, like, just mean looking like 26 year old freshman punter
0: the most anything there has ever been
1: yes other than like the turnover, the touchdown rings but that's, an- that's another rings, podcast
0: but no actually the the tatted punters is number one the, the, yes once you see the turnover chain the touchdown rings are boring i'm sorry it needs to be the <laughs> touchdown grills to be honest come on miami come on manny diaz go for it
1: we'll get there um But yeah, so so anyway, Wade Lee's was Maryland's punter for three years. He transferred out. Uh, He's going. He's at UCLA for his final year now. Um,
0: They brought in two. Kind of importance on punting. (laughs) Maybe he should.
1: Maybe I mean you know UCLA they'll get a lot of possessions. They'll they'll need to punt a lot. I'm guessing.
0: Whatever the case. Um, Yes, they will need to punt a lot.
1: (laughs) So, so Maryland brought in these two true freshman punters. Both of them are are walk-ons right now. Um, Anthony Pecarella Colton Spangler they're like four four and a half stars by whatever you know Cole's kicking which rates kicking and punting prospects and which is re- always really fun to to check up on um so both of those guys seem like they're kind of competing for a spot there's also Bentley Faulkner who was really the only like punter on the team in the spring and he had a pretty rough spring game into the in with you know dealing with wind yes but also not facing a rush, um, so he does he didn't look like he would end up being the guy, so I, I'm still not entirely sure which which of those guys it, it would be, um, Pecarella, to me seemed like a little bit of the favorite but but you really never know
0: and that's another thing Lila and Matt that you must continue there's a lot of running jokes and I don't advise you to continue all of them but the punting thing is something I mean it's the big ten I think you have to continue on with the punting jokes I mean one of my favorite podcasts was talking to the folks from uh, Blackheart Gold Pants who now have their own site um, and then going out to Iowa City and seeing it in person it was beautiful so uh, yeah punting jokes they always go over well with our audience uh, and for Maryland kicking's not a problem Joseph Petrino is actually pretty good I mean, he missed a couple towards the end of the year, but he was basically automatic at the start of the year. And Maryland, of course, for many years, had a completely automatic kicker, which was rare because in college, no one has an automatic kicker. Uh, And Joseph Petrino seems like he's a pretty good one.
2: Yeah, he seems good. And, you know, we did a kind of article on him uh, last week, I believe. And it seems like he's going to be allowed to show more of his range this year. Um, Last year, it kind of limited him, often wouldn't really – you know, go for those longer field goals. And it seems like that'll be a bigger part of the, you know, Maryland offense this season. And he seems really excited and ready to step up. But I do have to say, I I have a lot of concerns with the funding unit. You know, there's just a lot of unknowns and, you know, it really just did not look good at all in the spring game. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, it's, it's not a position that's talked about as much, but it's definitely, you know, a crucial, important position.
0: You understand, Lila. You understand what it means to be in the Big Ten. <laughs> yes. I will never get tired of Iowa and punting jokes. I will never get tired of them. They are some of my favorite jokes in the history of sports. Okay. Now we get to do the schedule portion of the show. And, Thomas, there's this amazing thing that you, that you told me about before we started recording that we need to mention off the top before we get into the schedule. And it, when you said it, I, I, my eyes almost popped out of my skull. When, remember when I talked about how maybe fans are a little bit more optimistic? about Maryland football than they've been and maybe that some of this is misplaced optimism this is what I was referring to
1: yeah so so you see what it happened was um with, a couple of weeks ago we just kind of went through Maryland's schedule um you know did sort of three games at a time just here's what to expect from Howard and Syracuse and Temple down the line uh we we kind of stuck little polls in there just after each each blurb like who do you think wins this game just just kind of see what see what it does but my hope was that it would lead to like a fan expected win total. You know, just if you add up all the, the polling results and just kind of on an individual game by game basis, fans are always more optimistic than they should be. This is really no surprise. Um, but it adds up to something that's hilarious, you know, like football power index and S and P plus are predicting four to five wins for Maryland. Um, You know the Vegas over/unders are kind of in that in that zone as well. We as humans are picking, you know, five and seven, six and six, maybe seven and five. The fan win expectancy is 7.73.
0: I wish I had the optimism that some of you folks do. (laughs) Which, so again, like people aren't
1: doing this with that in mind. You know, they're just they're kind of looking at each game and saying, yeah, that's winnable. Like 49% of the people that we asked think maryland's going to beat penn state
0: well that i can understand because if there's any team in the football world that maryland fans hate now that they're in the big 10 it's penn state and i think most just want to say they're going to beat Penn state because they say they can beat penn state and that's good but yeah 7.73 is not really realistic
1: but which which again like if if you asked anybody about like if you asked any individual person most of them are going to say yeah like it's probably not going to be quite that you know, seven tops, it's, but like, you it's, know, it's there's a, a path to eight,
0: maybe basis, you can make cases for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the fascinating thing about this game, or about like all these games, is that, you know, there's the four against sort of the Big Ten East stalwarts that, you know, kick Maryland's butt every year, but then everything else after that feels like at least a little bit winnable, and, you know, even you you can kind of talk yourself into those games against the powerhouses too. Well, okay. which is
0: a little problematic. I'm going to break the down as I did last year. It was three. Basically, you're going to win these. Then if one of them, they didn't. Uh, three toss-ups. There's three. Probably not want to win, but I can see you winning if the cards fall in the way that we hope they would. And then the big three. So the three, Lila, that you expect to win are Howard. I'm always going to include Rutgers in this because I don't care. And I'm not going to that game this year. And since Maryland... And Rutgers joined the Big Ten. Maryland is 3-2 and against Rutgers. Maryland is 3-0 and when I am not there, and they are 0-2 when I am there. And I promise you, to Student Times listeners, as my parting gift to you, I'm not going to Maryland-Rutgers this year. So they'll win. I also might end up going to the Temple game, but based on the fact that Maryland, I think a lot of players really want revenge for that Temple game last year where a lot of them played really poorly. I'm pretty sure they're going to win, but I'm never going to put 100% on it because they did that last year and look what happened. Then there are the three that are toss-ups and they all happen in a row at purdue home against indiana at minnesota they haven't played purdue in three years uh when they played purdue it was a very different purdue team and they destroyed them uh indiana they played wild stupid games against them it's at home they've played okay against indiana before they're a better team now than they were the last couple of times they played indiana but that's always a toss-up and then minnesota two years ago crushed them uh beat them in in, in uh, in in minneapolis close last year they crushed them at home so in these games you can pretty easily see maryland getting five out of six there getting six i think is tricky because all the toss-ups happen in a row but if maryland wants to win uh a trip to a bowl game perhaps whatever the pizza bowl is called now you're gonna probably have to win five maybe six of those
2: yeah i i think that I mean, one game you didn't mention there that I think is, you know, maybe not necessarily toss up, maybe a leading one way, but I think that Syracuse is a game that is really. You know,
0: Babers, I'm not giving Maryland uh, much of a favorite chance because I've seen that happen before and uh, it went very poorly. And so I am
2: chance, But I think that it'll be a very competitive matchup. And I think that Maryland's going to want to prove itself. I think that that's almost like the equivalent of Texas. And I think that, you know, while Syracuse is most likely to win that matchup, I think that Maryland does have a chance there. Oh, and There
0: are, there are other categories of games. I just wanted to focus on those first. We'll get to Syracuse in a second. But if Maryland wants to go to a bowl game, because they're not fair against Syracuse, and I wouldn't expect them to win, uh, they probably have to win five, if not six of those. And f- two of them are basically layups. That includes Rutgers. Temple is not a layup, but it's close. Mm The other three are toss-ups based on Maryland's history, and they're all teams that are of equivalent quality to them, and two of them are on the road. Just with the team with the questions that they have, even though they might have some individual talent advantages, I just can't put it in me to say that they're going to win all six. I can say five, but I can't say all six. I think most people would probably say that too. Isn't that right?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, with those – games that you mentioned i think like you mentioned indiana's been pretty crazy um every I, game
0: with maryland playing indiana is balls to the wall stupid it's just the dumbest yeah. games that you could possibly find and they're and they go down in lore because no one watches them except for us but we know that they're some of the craziest football games you could possibly see
2: so i mean you have indiana averaging 40.5 points per contest in those games and Maturps with 34.5 um and so it have always been kind of really crazy. Uh, if history is any indication, it's kind of turned for it to go Maryland's way. Um, and I think that Maryland might just get the advantage there because it's at home. But I think that then looking at games like Minnesota and Purdue, those are going to be really tough. I I could see them beating Purdue, but I don't I don't see them beating Minnesota. While they did blow them out last year, Minnesota ended its schedule really strong. They return a ton of key pieces. Um, that's going to be an away game. And, and so I'm going to give that one to uh, the Golden Gophers. I could see Maryland getting wins against Purdue and in Indiana, but I just don't really see it against um, against Minnesota.
0: Their quarterback is hurt. I should say that. He, he might be healthy, Zach Anik said, by the time they play. That's the end of October. Uh, but I think it's – I give Maryland a chance because they've beaten them the last two years. And they've also won with a, again, very different team, but a vastly inferior quarterback there a couple years ago. So I give Maryland a chance in that game.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely a chance. I, just...
0: I call it a toss-up because it's not like the other games on the schedule. And I'm going to bring in right. the other Matt. Sorry, you won't have to be referred to by that when you host the show. Mm-hmm. But as a podcast host, you must ask the difficult questions and you must deal with difficult topics. And therefore, I'm going to go to difficult games for you. The three, I can't see Maryland winning, but I could see them winning – If things go right, include Syracuse, a home against Nebraska, and Michigan State. Syracuse, it's a second straight road game for them. I have Dino Babers fear because of what happened four years ago, and you can forgive me for that. Uh, But the next week they play Clemson, and so you might catch them looking ahead, and it's one of those sleepy noon games. I think that Maryland's got a chance, but they're going to have to keep up with Syracuse's offense at a track meet, and that's really hard to do. And no matter what you see in the Big Ten, you're not going to see an offense like Syracuse. Nebraska, it's a a wide-open Big Ten West. Anybody can win it. But Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez are getting a lot of love, and I can see why. There's a lot of potential there. They kind of quietly had a really good back half of the schedule last year. And Michigan State, I mean, you make fun of them because they they don't play offense. The game will probably end 9-6. And that's why I'm saying Maryland probably has a chance, even though they're not quite close to Michigan State on talent but i I can't see maryland winning any of them on its face but last year they still beat texas and they nearly beat ohio state with an inferior roster and inferior coaching that's why you can give them a chance in these games and i think that i wouldn't be surprised if maryland won one of them
3: well i think the four hardest games are the the four last of the season on the schedule but the three games you're talking about, I don't think that Maryland can go into East Lansing and beat Michigan State in the last game, the last regular season game. I think that's very hard to do. As you said, they're a very defensively sound team, and we don't know how Maryland's offense will pan out with a lot of the new guys. And I think that's a very hard game to win at, on the road. Even but though at home, in
0: 2017, I should say, even though in 2017 it was snowing, It was a terrible game. Bortenschlag was the quarterback, and they still almost won because Michigan State can't play offense. So I will say it's unlikely, but I can see them still winning because I would give Maryland a chance with the fact that they've got game breakers that they could still possibly do it. Not saying that they will, but I'm saying that it's possible. And plus, that could end up being the, hey, we'll see in February, it really matters most game.
2: Michigan State's defense is just... Monstrous this year, though if you look at it their rank is one of the best defensive lines in the country, uh, got a decent number of great you know defensive backs. I think that it's just going to be really tough for Maryland's offense. I mean, we'll see what Josh Jackson can do, but I think it's just going to be tough Maryland's offensive line going up against a defensive line that's you know that talented
0: I, I again, I give it a chance because I will give Maryland a chance against a team that can only score thirteen points every week but it's again, it's not likely. And then you get the three big ones last year. They again, got the doors blown off at Penn state and Michigan, normal, fine, whatever. They nearly beat Ohio state, which was awesome. And I wasn't watching a second of that game. And it would have been really horrible if they had won and I had missed it just for my own purposes. And the difference this year, they play Michigan and Ohio state in back to back weeks, which should be outlawed by the Geneva conventions, but somehow it isn't. Uh, the Penn state game is interesting though, Matt and, uh, I was not one of the students who would go out and, you know, you'd ask questions of what what other students are thinking. But that's a kind of game that just because of the atmosphere, even though it's Penn State, you'd have to think that it's probably the best chance Maryland's had to beat them since they played them the first time because you're shutting the school down during the day. It's prime time game. They haven't had really one of these in forever, certainly not since I've been watching the team. And that gives them a chance. And I think the atmosphere will carry them there. Uh, Michigan is better when the Big Ten East and Ohio State is still Ohio State. I don't think they're beating any of them this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were competitive. And that's one of the things we asked last year for Maryland is is to be competitive against these teams. And they were against one of them. They almost beat them. Uh, What about
3: this year? Well, I think out of the three, obviously, the Penn State game stands out to me the most as the one they can win easiest because of that atmosphere, you said. An 8 p.m. game on a Friday night, I mean – as long as these Penn State fans don't make this a road game for us at well, home.
0: Well, if they can get to the game. <laughs> That's right. We hope I that mean, they get stuck in traffic on the Beltway because well, exactly. it's the law of averages that you are. But if you're a Maryland fan, just stay at the new hotel, get to the game, and watch the rest of them get stuck on Route 1 and not be able to get there. And that will be hilarious because then we can laugh at Penn State folks for that.
3: I think definitely the atmosphere can help. players a lot in that one and for michigan and ohio state i think those will be i don't know if those will be competitive but as you said last year all we asked was them to be competitive and they were very competitive with ohio state came down to the game losing play when they could have won the game on that uh two-point conversion so i mean if they're competitive with these teams it it can go either way again but it's very hard to compete with a michigan or ohio state especially back-to-back weeks and in November, when those teams get hot, it's very tough to compete against them.
0: I should mention next year, because I looked ahead of the schedule, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State are the final four games of the year. Again, things that should be outlawed by the Geneva Conventions. Uh, quickly, we'll get to record predictions. Thomas, I've, I've tried to be optimistic. It said Maryland's going to make a bowl game in the last couple of years. There's always been an opening for them to do that. And after, you know, they beat Texas. Imagine me doing the horns down in my living room as we speak. Uh, I kept thinking that maybe it could happen, and then they'd always find a way to screw it up. This year, I don't think I can go there because there's just too many questions. But I'm going to quote the now at ESPN Bill Connolly. If it goes wrong for Maryland, it's year zero. But if it goes right, I think they could win six, they could win seven, maybe. And if they make a bowl game, it's a success. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I just can't give it to them because there's still too many question marks and the fact that those three toss-up games are in a row and they're not spaced out amongst the schedule makes it harder so i'm gonna give them five i think five and seven is reasonable and no one's gonna complain about that because they understand where maryland football has come from and where it is now and what they have to do just to get to respectability i wouldn't begrudge you if you predicted six i might think you're a little crazy if you predicted seven but i think that's probably the baseline. I don't think – I think they're too talented to win four or fewer. I, I think five seems about right to me. Not even going to mention eight, nine? Okay. Um, I think hey, – Thomas, Thomas, <laughs> you have to understand. Every time I predict any team that I like to do well, they fail immediately. So you might as well go in with low expectations. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that. And, um, you know, just
1: as – like, it, yeah, no, I, I get that. I went with uh, – six and six in in my predictions uh but it's the same kind of thing you know i i think it's more likely that they turn out worse you know they win four or five than seven eight um i think they get just enough of them you know because it's there's just enough of these toss-up games and i do you know kind of like what i've seen from from jackson and from a lot of the new transfers and from you know a lot of the the returning guys i think there's just enough there that I think they can win a lot of those, you know, games that right now look like toss-ups.
0: I, I just can't do it at this point. Maybe it's because... And, and I can't blame you. I mean, I want to get... And Mike Locks is going to get the benefit of the doubt, obviously. I mean, far more than any other coach in recent Maryland history has gotten. But D.J. Durkin's first year, they went 6-6, six and six, but they played against a horrifically bad schedule outside of the really good teams. Randy Edsel's first season was a disaster. So, I mean... There's a lot of reason to think probably not, but I mean, I think it probably falls just a little short of Durkin's first year because they played nobody at a conference that first year. I think it was FIU. By the way, let's talk about
1: the start of that year was, yeah, it was FIU, you know, bad And they were favored against Penn State. They were favored at Penn State, and this was the year that Penn State won the Big Ten.
0: You, by the way. It's
1: my favorite thing that's happened in college no, football this decade. No,
0: petty is still my favorite thing that's happened at Maryland football. And being there to see it happen twice is my favorite thing that happened in Maryland football. And I will always be able to say that. Or I saw a tweet once. It was like somebody saying, what's the advice you'd give to an incoming college student? And I would say, if Maryland's playing William & Mary in football, don't go there 90 minutes before the game. That's a, really, it's a one-shot deal, but it's it's something that I wish I knew when I went to college. It was terrible. Uh, that's the worst football game I've ever seen, by the way, and it will always be. Uh, Lila, in terms of record predictions, what do you think?
2: Well, from what you said before, you might say I'm crazy, but I did say seven and five of my predictions. Well, you've got that
0: college student optimism that I don't have anymore, being three years unemployed and in the cynical, horrible world that we live in.
2: I mean, I wouldn't say I'm entirely optimistic. I just think that If you look at last year, like, I think that they have a ton more talent than they did last year, and they've gotten a lot of really good transfers. I think that Josh Jackson is a really good quarterback that's going to do great things for his team, and I I think the one upset I had in there, and people have said, I'm crazy for this, but I say this because of last year, I think Ohio State's going to be an interesting game. I think they're really, really going to come into that game with some fire after what happened last year, and... You know, while it's most likely Ohio State takes that, I think that could be interesting. Um, But like Thomas said, I think that they do have a talent to win a lot of these toss ups. Um, But we'll see. I could easily see them, you know, winning six or five games. But I I think that if they're playing to their potential, they could win seven.
3: And Matt, what do you think? I'm going to go with six and six, just like Thomas said. I think if you look back the last two years, they beat Texas both times, Texas was ranked. But, so Texas, I think, but
0: Texas didn't take Maryland seriously, let's be uh, honest.
3: That's why I'm saying I think the Syracuse game is very interesting. You said they're playing Clemson the week after. That Correct. could be one of those those games where they just fall asleep. And I think that early in the season, Maryland, if they come out hot, they can beat that ranked team in Syracuse, and that could be their, the six wins that I'm saying. So six and six I'll go with.
0: Competing Syracuse and losing to Minnesota would be funny considering recent season history. I do want to mention a couple of other things before we uh, get to some other housekeeping details. Basketball schedules are out, men's and women's. You can look at them for yourself. I do want to mention, because it makes me laugh, uh, Leap Day 2020 is the game at Xfinity Center. Both of the Maryland-Michigan State games are on a Saturday. Uh, So there is a chance that College Game Day goes to Maryland this year. Not the football college game day, which has never been to Maryland, but the basketball college game day. And can you imagine the scene at Xfinity Center if that happened? It would be insane. We'll have to see whether that happens or not. Uh, do you, uh, does anybody want to make mention of that schedule? Or
2: yeah, I think that I think those two Michigan State games will really be interesting. I actually could see one of those, you know, really taking big on the national stage. Those are two teams that are expected to be. In the top 10 in the country, in the top two in the Big Ten. So I think that'll be uh, really interesting. And and looking at the schedule, I think that I I, I don't, I think with Maryland Bathball this year, there's a lot of optimism. And I think that the schedule maybe isn't as brutal as they've had in recent years. Um, There's definitely like a lot of, you know, good competition. But I think that just in some of the, teams that they're playing at home. Um, and I'm pulling it up right now to look at it. But if you look at this schedule, I mean, you have, uh, you know, matchups against Iowa at home, um, and you play Nebraska at home. And I think, you know, those are two games that is really good to have a home advantage. You also only have one game against Michigan, um, and that's at home as well. Um, so I think those will really help and benefit the Terps. Um, but to me, at least, it doesn't seem just as brutal as uh, in past years where there's just, like, insane amounts of hard games in March. You know, they have, um, towards the end of the season, they have, like, the games against Michigan stay in Michigan, but then they also get a break with Rutgers and Northwestern. Um, I-, I think it'll be an interesting season. I'm really excited for these two Michigan State matchups.
0: As I said, don't go to hey, well, it depends on whether Fox or ESPN gets the games. But if ESPN has the home game, please, put game day in Maryland. You're gonna you're never gonna regret it. Because then you'll get yeah. Scott Van Pelt, and then everybody will go to Bentley's and it'll be great. I mean that's the only time I could ever see anything Duke like happening at a Maryland basketball game would be this year Maryland against State Maryland. It's the only time I could see it. And Thomas, you've covered michigan state maryland at xfinity center and those and i mean it was a very different time then but i mean imagining that with game day with those two streams being on top 10 would just be it'd be one of the biggest maryland basketball games in what the best part of like 15 years yeah i mean not to get ahead of ourselves but yes. no 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 no. but we have to skip football season get to basketball so you have to think like a maryland fan here
1: how about Jalen Smith gaining 32 pounds since he's been at Maryland?
0: Reminder, reminder, he weighed like 190 when he came to Maryland, so it's okay. It's okay, everybody. Yes,
1: no, this is, that's like that's a good stat, too.
0: It, it is very
1: good stat. It's like a good 32 pounds. you
0: 32 pounds, you go, oh, what? But no, we need the contact.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, same, but like, not like that, so. Now they just um, the
2: same with Troll Marial, because he's coming in very tall and very skinny as well, kind of like Jalen did.
0: Yep. Also, women's basketball schedule. I'll leave that one to Thomas because he covered them forever. Very I mean, quickly. it's the it's the same
1: kind of thing. Um, you know, they. You know, they, they'd already announced the the non-con. I don't know if we if we talked about that one. We did. Um, we did. Yeah. So I mean, there's not a lot of of big surprises. I think
0: it's the order. It's the order when you announce a schedule like this that is. Yeah, and
1: to be perfectly honest, nothing really stood out to me. Um, I just, I really don't know which, which teams are going to be super competitive with Maryland. No, Um, um, which looks like it's Clemson
0: anymore. Thank you.
1: No, and so that's what I don't know. Um, Maybe Michigan if they still have Hallie Thome, but I'm not even sure they do. Um, We'll, 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 we'll get back to that.
0: Stay tuned, and of course, non-rev sports starting. We just don't have enough time to get to that, and. I hope Lila and Matt get to it because, as you probably figured out, no surprise, those two, Matt, Lila, and the rest of the gang are going to be taking over this show. Starting what? Basically, when I when I push the pause button on this recording now, basically, basically, yeah, basically that. Yeah.
2: We're um, going to be uh, launching some new shows as well, which we'll which we're very excited about. So stay tuned for that.
0: Very much so, and uh, I first want to say thank you all for listening for these many many years five and a half years and 170 episodes of doing this i mean i've got i've had so much fun doing that basically why this is happening now is because when i started doing this i was doing this podcast with friends with alex who's a classmate of mine ryan who i knew really well matt Allen who i knew really well; and thomas who i had actually met in 2011 and then realized covering maryland women's basketball tournament in was like oh right that's who you are great days at notre dame's women's college you remember that thomas i know you do Oh, yeah. Yes. Way back when, all if, the way in Baltimore. Yeah, that's where we – if you didn't know where Notre Dame's Women's College was, it's in Baltimore. Uh, maybe when we're more wistful and drunk at our rocking chairs in the future, we will tell you more about that. So, yes, I'm going to miss doing this show. We may, some of the old guard in our rocking chairs, come back to do more stuff in the future. We'll have plans on that. I have to say, uh, Thomas, as we both kind of leave this show at the same time, I do want to say – uh, I think I know what if I ask you what your favorite moment is uh, when, we, when we've done these shows because I know for you and I it's the same it's probably the same favorite moment isn't it?
1: I'm actually not entirely sure um, which one. The one that I remember most is having to do two in one day.
0: No, that's the answer. That's the answer. I mean it, it yeah. is. It, if you if you haven't listened to that, and I hope Lyle and Matt you you did listen to that when we did two podcasts in one day. We did the whole thing on Durkin and how he wasn't going to be fired, and then we come back at about five o'clock. This is Halloween. And then I see the ticker on ESPN and a text from a friend. They fired Durkin, and I go, "Are you serious?" And we record another podcast that day. I've never laughed more in my life doing a show. It was gallows humor, but it was more fun than I've I've had. And I, Thomas, I mean, for all that sucked about it, it was it was so much fun doing those shows. It, we, you, you never got more laughs than that. I mean, I think
1: we've we've covered some other funnier stuff, but it's. Yeah, I mean, you know, Maryland sports kind of, they run the gamut. And that day, it just, it felt like everything at once.
0: I mean, and what, multiple quarterback injuries, that's one thing. If you remember all the way back to 2016, I don't know how many of you do, but when Alex and I interviewed Graham Couch, who was the Michigan State basketball beat writer, he left Maryland out of the top 25. And Alex texts me and says, uh, do you want to interview the guy who left Maryland out of the top 25 for the podcast? So, I'm sitting in my apartment at, at, at South Campus Commons, and we both get on Skype. We both make the phone call, and that was one of the most <laughs> amazing episodes ever because we've never done anything like that before, and we really haven't done anything like that since because I don't think anything that crazy kind of happened with Maryland Athletics, but that was that was another fun one that I, I enjoyed. And I know, Lila and Matt, you're <laughs> going to have a lot of moments to enjoy on this show. Remember, Rutgers stinks. Punting jokes very important angry maryland quarterback hating god are there any other running jokes thomas that we need to talk about don't forget field hockey that's a very important running joke
1: oh man i I don't think we're gonna get uh forget field
0: hockey lila covered them
1: for um, i i
2: i I, I will never forget missy she's a special a special place in my heart
0: well for me that was for me that was i would never uh miss the chance to mention men's soccer especially last year but of of course i mean so, so many great things and you guys are gonna have a lot of fun covering it and Again, podcast is going to be in the same place. There's going to be a lot of different kinds of shows, but I I trust both of you that you can steward this show into the future. And remember, it's a dysfunctional viper pit, so laugh. <laughs> and and Matt, always remember, have a backup when you're recording, because
3: if you don't,
0: uh, and also remember the edit button is your friend.
3: Sounds good. I got it.
0: Just just remember these things because if you – and nothing that you say on the recording ever has to actually stay in the show. And multiple takes are okay. It's, a, it's, it's something – That's been a lifesaver. It is – oh, God. How many times have we edited like six minutes out of the show because of running jo- – because of jokes that just didn't work? I mean, anyway. I'm getting wistful because I'm going to miss this show. I'm going to miss doing it. Hopefully – the older guard will have a chance to do something in the future. Cause we've given a lot here and I've given a lot to this show. And I thank you all for listening for all these many years. And I surely hope you do continue to listen because these guys are going to do a great job. I'm certainly going to be listening. Cause there aren't many places you could get Maryland coverage like this on the internet. And we're not Texas A&M or anything. So until we speak again, remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at that's music's one. I had to plug that because I haven't done that on this show very often, but I'm going to do it now. And you already probably follow Thomas. But follow Lila and Matt. They are going to have all the fun stuff for you in the future. And enjoy the football season, of course. It, it can only get better, right? But until we speak again, no terms.